Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. I've recently started a new business called Bia that helps women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from extreme cramps, irregular periods, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Lisa Audenweller, to our show today. Lisa is the founder and CEO of Chroma Wellness, a functional superfood nutrition company. Lisa entered the wellness space in 2011 upon founding Beaming Wellness, an organic superfood cafe concept with locations all over Southern California. The brand quickly attracted a cult following, which I was a part of, and was a leader in the healthy grab-and-go food category. After exiting Beaming in 2018, Lisa had a bigger vision with a more ambitious reach, a direct-to-consumer brand that could simplify people's lives by offering a wide variety of delicious, on-the-go functional foods and beverages that can easily fit into your everyday life. Out of that vision, Chroma Wellness was born. However, despite all the success that Lisa has seen with her businesses, it definitely didn't come easy. We talked to Lisa about how she launched her first business, Beaming, while going through a divorce and being a single mom to three young kids, how she used her scrappiness to get the business off the ground with very little money, and why leaving Beaming was one of the hardest decisions she's ever had to make in her life. We unpack the handful of lessons she learned with her first business venture and the work she did to rebuild herself and gain the courage to create her newest business, Chroma. Lisa also shares her multi-year journey of testing different products in the kitchen, the steps she took to launch her second business, and the massive pivot she did that changed the entire trajectory of the company. We also discuss how she went from getting many rejections when it came to fundraising during a pandemic to ultimately raising over $5 million from well-known founders and A-list celebrities like Gwyneth Paltrow and Amy Schumer. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here and always love our conversations. I know. And I was just telling you a bit before the interview that we are friends outside of this podcast. And I've heard you kind of speak about your journey at different dinners we've gone to and just knowing more about you. I just so appreciate how you show up in every aspect of your life and your openness and willingness to discuss the most difficult of times, both personally and professionally. And I think it's just a breath of fresh air because as we know, you know, entrepreneurship isn't always glorious, even when you're on the highs of everything. So I'm super excited to dig into your very amazing and windy journey. And I think it's going to be a huge value add to so many women who are listening today. So honestly, thank you again and can't wait to jump into it. Let's do it. All right. Well, I'll love to start with a higher level question. You know, as you know, starting a business is tough. You've had many highs and lows, which we'll talk about today. But what do you think truly separates people who give up versus those who have the grit to keep on going? Well, I think entrepreneurship is is not easy, as you said, and it's very lonely. And most things don't go your way and they never happen as planned. So the ability to sort of surrender to that, but also a couple key things, surrounding yourself with the people to continue to cheer you on Mm -hmm. that are going to support you. And there's going to be plenty of naysayers that are going to tell you all the reasons why it's not a good idea. 
or you're not going to be able to pull all the things that whatever the person's, you know, their issues are, but being able to surround yourself by, even if it's one person, a mentor, somebody that you can talk to that can keep picking you up when you, when it's just so hard. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really, really important one. I think, you know, for me along the way, there were so many times I wanted to quit, especially going into the chroma experience. And I had one advisor mentor along the way that I was just calling. I was like, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. And Mm. we would go for walks and he would just cheer me on. And Jody Levy was another one that kept me going and being able to have those people that just give you that push and nudge to believe and know no matter how successful you've ever been, it is so hard. I think the other big one is that when the mission and the why is so clear and palatable, you can't not do it. And I think that's another one where, you know, I've always kind of referred to it as this like divine energy that's really with you, but you're going to get tested. I mean, the universe is always going to test you. Like how bad do you want it? Yes, it's so true. And I think, you know, even and I know we're kind of in a similar world of wellness, and we're both so passionate about making the world a healthier place with easier, accessible solutions. And, you know, we've always been in our business fixated on how can we make women particularly healthier. And with our first product, we're like, it might not hit, we don't know if it's going to resonate, but we know our mission is there. And that's what we care about. So we'll pivot. And what I love so much about you, which we'll go into, is that your most of your life and your career has been, how do we make the world a healthier place? And you've had so many ventures under that umbrella to bring it to life. So you really are living out your biggest mission and really how having that why is so fundamental to just keep on going. So I just want to highlight that because I think it's so, so true. And you know, I'd love to actually go back and really start with your childhood. You're very fierce. You're very independent of a woman. Can you tell me more about those earlier years and how you think that's really impacted the woman that you are today? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, obviously our upbringing influences who we are today and, you know, maybe a little genetics. I think I definitely was born with that gene of that tenacity and drive that just was ingrained in me. But I think growing up with a couple key things in a split family certainly kind of taught me and my parents got divorced when I was one. And and so going back and forth between my dad and my mom's and just sort of learning and kind of adapting to that. And my my mom married a wonderful man and stepdad. So I had this very stable home environment and they were very healthy. And so we grew up really, really mm-hmm. healthy. But also I, I I was the prodigy of the latch key and having to come home alone and take care of myself. My, both my parents worked. And so I had to learn very, very early on to come home from school and make your own food and keep yourself entertained. And phones didn't exist then and video games didn't exist then. And so it was the old school, like, okay, hit the tennis ball against the garage door, play yeah. soccer in the backyard or find kids to play, play, kick the can with. I mean, so crazy to think back to, but that's what we did. And I think that taught me a lot of independence on a, at a very, very early age. As a mom of three, I know my kids haven't had to learn that. And I think it had a huge influence in, in even just my drive. And then the other side was that my father was a very prominent businessman in Colorado Springs. And as a young girl driving in the car with him, he always had audio tapes of, and it's funny to say tapes, but Zig Ziglar and Tony Robbins and yeah. all these motivational tapes that he would listen to. And I was like, of course, as a little girl, I was so annoyed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So annoying. But I have to believe a lot of that sort of kind of snuck into me because I always had this drive for my own interpersonal growth 
it had to be somewhat, you know, I think he sort of planted that seed. I also got to hear him on calls, which this is actually the funny side of this. You may imagine many, many years ago, he had this enormous phone in the car that was like, you know, like 20 pounds. And it was like a really big deal for him to have a phone in the car. So I would listen to him on calls. I always heard him negotiating. I always heard him doing deals. And so I think that also played a big role in some of my entrepreneurial mindset. Yeah, it's funny as a kid, like you were saying, you don't realize what experiences impact you. My mom was very spiritual. You know, she had like all the Eckhart Tolle books and Tony Robbins and similar to you. I was like, what is this? This is just annoying. And, you know, and my dad was an entrepreneurial type. He had the big block phone in his car. I remember it was like a big deal. And he was, he's still always on the phone. He hasn't changed from like 50 years ago. But it's just interesting to see how as a kid, you are a sponge and fast forwarding as in your adult career, there's these characteristics that kind of come out from your parents. So it's cool to to see where you are today and how your parents influence you. And actually, when I was doing research about your journey, one thing was super interesting that you've talked about, where you opened up about how this mindset of only really counting on yourself isn't always the best and how it's been tough for you to allow people in your life to help and support you both personally and professionally. And it really resonated with me because I feel that way. And especially, you know, you mentioned earlier in this interview, so much of entrepreneurship is asking for help. And I think sometimes we can kind of get stuck in our bubble and be like, it's on us. We need to drive things through. So I'd love to kind of just unpack that mindset a little bit more. Yeah, no, absolutely. I And I think, again, being in a split family, my dad was married, divorced, married five times. And so I did see firsthand, I guess what that influenced for me as a woman was don't ever depend on a man. And I can only look out for me. And there's some good that come from that because I am very independent, but it also made it very difficult to relationship because I wasn't ever going to depend on someone. And that also then translates into people that can show up for you. And so I had a mindset that no one could show up for me. Mm. And unfortunately, I, I really attracted that. I attracted that both in my marriage, you know, for 13 years, as well as even with beaming and the people who worked for me. I think because I just had this lack of trust, Mm. like they really show up for me. And, you know, I think that that, I mean, that energy is, it's an unspoken energy, but it creates an exchange that will continue to feed that mindset. And that becomes the reality, right? And, and so I think it took a lot of, I saw patterns in my life of how that influenced me as an adult, as a businesswoman as a woman in relationship that was preventing me really from creating the life that I wanted. And I had to do some really deep healing and work to trust and to believe that people would show up for me, both personally and professionally. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting you say that because I think a lot of people might think that they trust, but it's like really to your core believing it, doing like you were saying, and which we'll go into your journey a little bit later, like doing the work and truly trusting that the world is an abundant place, that people have your back, that you're not alone in it. And it's like that energy and mindset that you have is really when your life begins to flourish, I feel like in business and personal life. So it's beautiful to see just how you've kind of done the work. And I didn't know at the time, like I didn't understand that that was my mindset. And so it wasn't until things fell apart, both in my marriage and with beaming, that I realized whatever's happening here in these two really critical parts of my life, I need to understand it. I need to understand where it's coming from and how do I heal it? Because I can't even, I can't attract love and I can't go create 
in business again until I understand the root of what's happening here. And that was a deep, deep journey. It, you know, I went to Hoffman. I went, you know, like many of people, people love listen. Hoffman. Yeah. Hoffman was intense, but, yeah. you know, it's powerful. One of the things I think that's always interesting in just your interpersonal journeys are I was one that would always snap my fingers. I'm like, okay, we're good now. Ready? Like everything, like I'm fine. And yeah. what I learned in the process is you don't just get to snap your fingers and now everything magically is fine. And I had to get pretty beat up for a while. Mm. And every time I'd come out, I'm like, okay, I got it now. I'd sort of, I felt like I was in a dunking machine. It was like, nope, nope, there's still some more work to do. (laughs) We're going to go a little bit lower. And it just, it it was like going through that and anyone, we could all relate to this. It's like, those are the darkest times that are your greatest gift. Being now on the other side, which it's a constant, you know, we're always working on ourselves and it's a never ending thing. But being through some of that really deep stuff, it's just a different level of energy and flow that I live in now, you know, and joy. And joy. Exactly. I love that. I know you were saying in terms of how you used to be and you kind of wake up, you're like, I'm fine. Things are good. But what I realized for myself, like I can mentally say everything is okay. And being with my husband and having someone who sees everything right 24 seven and can reflect back, how do you really feel and whatnot? But it lives in my body. And that's how I notice like things are not aligned. Like I can mentally be like, it's fine, but it's connecting with how I truly feel of really like getting over that, whatever it's a difficult week, difficult situation. So that introspection, if that's the right word, of just like how you feel and your mindset is so key. (laughs) How often do we actually stop and go, how do I feel? Yes. And there are many times, I mean, obviously still, you know, there are times where just things aren't going the way that I want, you know, in either whatever side of life, personally, professionally. And I can, if someone asked me, how are you doing? If I actually answered, I probably would have started to cry. Yeah. When you're like, wait, I don't know. I didn't even check in with myself. And so, you know, as someone, it sounds like that you can relate in that we're so good at sort of masking and going through the motions of life. And, And there's a really important part of survival that we need to be able to do that. But then that flip side of like, how am I doing? How do I feel? And even just sitting with that and feeling through that you know, life is ebb and flow, ups and downs. It's true. And it's it's interesting you bring that because last week I had a call with a really amazing listener. I love chatting with like our community and she wanted like a 30 minute call with starting a business. And she was just talking about how the podcast has really impacted her. And particularly last week was a tough week. I'm still, my business is my full-time thing. I'm trying to still do this podcast. And on that call, Lisa, I just started bawling, like tears of joy. But I think it was just an opening of, it's been a tough week. I'm so glad that the work I'm doing is making even an impact of some sense. But it was my reminder of like, slowing down, you're making an impact, everything is okay. And I think it's just important to take it easy sometimes because I was pushing a little too much last week. I was exhausted. It was a week before my period. You know, I'm always talking about hormones with my company. So it was like a recipe for me just to slow down. So the life will always test you, right? Like you said, it'll be put in situations. And it's such a, like, what a beautiful thing to just let go. And I think that's the other thing is that, you know, sometimes we just need to cry. Yeah, sometimes yeah. we feel sorry for ourselves. It's okay. Like, don't like I don't want to stay in that energy, but sometimes yeah. I just want to be like tired because it is exhausting. And when you're juggling so much in business and personal lives, and if you're a mom, I have three kids. I've been a single yeah. mom building companies for over 10 years. And mm-hmm. 
the juggle of that living in two cities, you know, has been a lot. And sometimes I've not slowed down enough to feel, but eventually, you know, your body will tell you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It'll, yeah, it'll force no you if you if you're not willing to cooperate. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. I wanted to tell you a quick story. Before I started this podcast, I was working extremely long and crazy hours in banking and then in tech. I was totally burnt out, not living my truth and dreaming of always building my own empire. With all of this stress, it came really debilitating periods from bloating, cramping, extreme breast tenderness and really unpredictable moods. I would always complain to my friends that I was literally out of commission for at least a week every single month. And that adds up to three months in every year. Other than feeling frustrated that my really bad periods were keeping me from pursuing my actual goals, I knew that something wasn't right. Women are not inherently designed to suffer every single month. That's when I learned about hormonal imbalances. I started working with functional medicine doctors who told me that years of stress combined with taking birth control pills long-term created a cascade of hormonal damage in my body. This is why I felt bloated, tired, crampy, and moody before and throughout my period. They recommended I try something called seed cycling. And let me tell you, it's changed my life. Seed cycling is the simple process of using food as medicine to naturally support your hormones. It uses four different types of seeds, yes, actual seeds, throughout your menstrual cycle to support the balance of hormones like progesterone and estrogen and give your body critical nutrients it needs to achieve your best health. Within weeks of starting this process, I noticed major shifts in my period and my overall health. But I also noticed that seed cycling is actually kind of hard to do. I wanted the best quality seeds freshly ground in the right amount, but it was very time consuming. So I decided to create a simple and effective way for anyone to start seed cycling today using the highest quality organic seeds in the right amounts with the right support. It's called Bia, and I'm so excited to bring it to you. Now, anyone struggling with hormonal imbalances can easily incorporate seed cycling into their busy schedule with the Bia Seed Cycling Bundle. This process has been life-changing for me. I no longer deal with cramps, bloating, breast tenderness, or any other PMS symptoms before my period. It's been a complete game changer, and it's allowed me to focus on things that matter most to me, like this podcast and building my own empire. And most importantly, I want this for you too. If you or anyone you know has been struggling with hormonal imbalances or bad periods, go to beawellness.com slash free. Once again, it's beawellness.com slash free to download our free guide to our top tips in tackling hormonal imbalances and to learn more about our seed cycling bundle. We included this link in the show notes along with a promo code for $10 off for all of our Behind Her Empire listeners. I know you're going to love seed cycling just as much as I do. Thanks for listening listening. And now let's get back to the show. Well, I want to talk about, like you mentioned, you've always had this entrepreneurial bug. I know you worked in corporate America for a little bit. And when your kids were younger, I don't know if when you had your first child, but you really had your first foray into entrepreneurship with your interior design business. So I love to kind of hear about your experience there and really about your first venture. Yeah. Yeah. So 
a lot of things, obviously out of college. And I always have to say this because it's such a funny dichotomy to where I am. But my first job out of college was with Nestle selling chili and cheese sauce and country sauces, gravy and corned beef hash. And I remember being horrified because somehow when I said yes to the job, I didn't understand that's what the job was. Yeah, I was always very healthy. So, but it was my first in corporate and in that foray. And you know, it was such a great teacher. I mean, Nestle is an amazing company, right? I knew that wasn't my long-term passion and vision. And then doing a lot of that corporate work and working in the high-tech industry during the huge e-commerce boom and had an amazing career there. And then having my first child really changes things. Mm -hmm. And I was traveling all over the world and had an amazing career, but I was a very young mom. I was a mom at 26. And I really had to really look at the lifestyle and how could I best show up for my, my daughter and have more kids because you know now we've we've now started a family and I think through that I always had this entrepreneurial I have the entrepreneurial gene for lack of better mm-hmm. words and even in corporate America I was always very entrepreneurial in these big companies so it was just a matter of time before I started my own business and mm-hmm. my daughter was about four at the time we had moved from San Francisco to to San Diego and. Actually, the goal was how can we slow me down? You know, it's like because I had been on this plane traveling all the world. We're like, oh, we'll move to San Diego. It's much more family oriented. We'll slow me down, and quickly realized at the time that was not overly possible. Because as soon as I got there, I was like, what business can I start? Yeah, that's so interesting. That's good to know. (laughs) And so, and you know, it was amazing because at the time I was just like, okay, what can I do? What can I do? And and because I love being creative and I love making money and I liked creating impact. And so I went to design school because my mom had been an interior designer and I thought, well, I'll do interior design. And then I quickly realized probably what I could do is solve a problem that was happening in San Diego, which is all of these new homes were being developed and they needed two things. They needed window coverings for privacy and they needed landscaping, you know, just to enjoy your outdoor. And I just ended up starting a window coverings company based on a need that I saw in the community. Ended up having a great career with that for probably a good six, seven years. Had two more children along the way. And it really served the purpose of how can I be creative? How can I provide a value you know, to people who, that there's a need here? And how can I make money to contribute to the family and still have the flexibility to show up for my kids? But underneath that, I always knew I had a much bigger purpose. And sometimes it would bring a lot of anxiety for yeah. me because I was like, this is not what I was born to do. Like I have a bigger purpose and mission in life. I'm sure so many people here listening have felt that. And that was something that, you know, sometimes I'd get really uncomfortable because I'm like, I didn't, I'm not here to do window coverings. Like that's yeah. not my purpose in the world. Yes, I'm solving a problem, but I, and, and I just constantly wanted to know, like, how could I serve? And how can I make a greater impact in the world? And it was sort of a series of events that led me then to really stepping into where I've been now the last 14 years as in wellness and food as medicine. And it was the kind of all the pebbles along the way that you finally get over the head and you're like, oh, that's what I'm supposed to do. 
Wow, I actually did not know you had your first business for six to seven years. That's quite a bit of time, especially knowing that you're here for like a bigger purpose, right? But you're not really sure what that is. And I think, like you said, so many people for, you know, even for my first corporate job for 10 years, I knew there was something more for me to do, but I wasn't sure what that was, but in my gut. And now I'm finally kind of living that purpose and still uncovering and figuring that out as I go. You know, I am curious, you were doing really well, like you were mentioning. So what was really your first foray into wellness? Because clearly, like you said, that really pivoted your life. So how did that kind of come into your life? If I backtrack it to just even as a young child, I grew up in a very healthy family. My parents exercised every day. So I grew up seeing that and I exercised every day. We ate really healthy. We never had junk food in our house, homemade meals for dinner. Um, my grandfather, up until the age of ninety, was doing you know a thousand push-ups and sit-ups a day, and wow. walking stairs and exercising. So it was very much in my sort of DNA of health. And I actually laugh at this thinking back. I was making superfood smoothies when I was sixteen, and I don't even know if superfoods were a thing at the time, but. You know, I was making smoothies and I was trying to figure out how to make a chocolate chip cookie healthy because I was making the football players cookies all the time because I was yeah. a cheerleader. <laughs> and then I was like, well, I'm eating all the cookie dough. I should probably figure out how to do this in a healthier way. And I would start playing with things. So it's so funny to look back on it yes. because I think you can all relate to like, oh, duh, that's what I was supposed to do. But it just took me a while because I had so much resistance over the years. People would look look at me or they would see how athletic or healthy I was and that you, you know, think that I should do that. And I just was like, no, 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 no. I'm not that's not what I'm supposed to do. But there was a couple key things. And one is I always had this underlying fear of going to the doctor and and having bad news. Mm. And so that was just something that I can for as long as I can remember, I just always felt like I don't I want to have control over my health, especially as I got older in life. And I'll never forget a moment. I was 38. I went to the gynecologist for my annual exam and I was telling her that my hair was falling out. I felt really tired. As someone who was incredibly active and athletic, I didn't feel like my athletic performance was as good. I felt inflamed, body aches and pains, brain fog, no sex drive, all the things. And as I'm telling her this, she just smirked and she looked at me and she said, oh, honey, welcome to getting older. And I remember so vividly and I thought, no, that is not an acceptable answer. I I am 38 years old. And so that was a very pivotal moment. And then simultaneously, my daughter was about 11 at the time, I believe. And she had been taking ADD medication since she was nine. And I remember going through figuring out what we were going to do with this diagnosis of ADD. And I saw about five doctors and all five doctors said, you have no choice but to put your child on medication. And it it gives me chills now thinking about it because I remember feeling desperate. And I remember thinking, I know this isn't right. There has to be another way. But back then we didn't have the information we have now. And we didn't have Dr. Amon and the Amon clinic. And we didn't have healthy food options like wheat thins and goldfish were like the whole grain goldfish we thought were good for us, right? So I'm trying to set the stage. Like at the time, we didn't have the information, the blogs, the books, the Dr. Hyman's of the world, all these people to learn from. So I remember just feeling intuitively, this is wrong, but I don't know what to do. And 
the ADD medication that she was on, which was not Adderall, but it was a softer version of that, was then causing mood disorders. And so, of course, what did they do? They put her on a mood disorder medication, and then that caused her to almost be catatonic. And it was like, you couldn't even engage with my child. And it it was like at that moment, I thought, everything about this is wrong, and I'm going to figure this out. And so the combination of the, the doctor telling me I was just getting older and that led me to really dive into food as medicine. And through that journey, I went to IIN, the Institute of Integrative Nutrition. I read every book that I could, and I started just playing at home with food and kind of realized this is not as complicated as we make it. Yeah. And so what if I just take out the inflammatory triggers, sugar, wheat, gluten, dairy, processed foods, alcohol, non-organic fruits and vegetables, clean meats, et cetera, and just start there, like the basics, eat more vegetables, et cetera. And in doing that, immediately I felt better. So I was like, wait a second, all the things I was struggling with started to shift. And what I did with my daughter was I played a game with her. She's like 11 and so very difficult to remove gluten for a child. All they do is eat pasta and pizza and that's what their friends eat and Doritos and all these things. But I played a game with her and I said, honey, what if we take all these things away and like, let's, and we put all this other food in and then let's see how you feel. And I made it a game where like, let's do this for two weeks and see what happens. And in two weeks time, her brain was working so well by removing these inflammatory triggers that we took her off medication and she never went back on. That is wild. So that, and I get emotional thinking about it because that was such a frustrating time. It was like amazing and liberating. And like, like all of a sudden now I had a solution. It yeah. also really angered me. Yeah. I, how come nobody said this? Mm-hmm. How come not one of these doctors said this? Mm-hmm. And I felt betrayed. I was angry. And it was really a combination of all those things that I thought I have to do something. And I have to do it in a way that I can help people understand the power we have over our health by just being more mindful of what we eat, drink, and think. And so that was when I really started to, I thought, how can I best do this? I mean, do I write a book? Do I write blogs? Do we really need more content? Or are we actually just, what if I go make the food? And I help you feel how good you can feel when you put good stuff in your body. And because I had been playing with superfoods for 15 years, now 15 years, and before mushrooms were a thing, you know, I was long before Four Sigmatics and all these, you know, Rishi and, and Cordyceps and Lion's Mane became a thing, but I was starting to geek out on it and maca and spirulina. And I just started to figure out how can I use food to heal and make it taste so good that people don't feel like it was a sacrifice. They actually like look forward to it. And again, I have to sort of set the stage a little bit because again, with things have come so far, we still have so much farther oh to go. Oh my gosh. Then it was, let's call it 13 years ago, 14 years ago. And we didn't have the options we have today. And for anyone in LA, Erewhon wasn't what Erewhon is today, right? So it was like one store is very hippie, nothing like what it is. Cafe Gratitude didn't exist. I mean, all of these options didn't exist. We didn't have nearly the options we have at the grocery store. I mean, organic was so, was discussed, but it wasn't like something that everyone said, oh, of course you have to do organic. I mean, Walmart and Target didn't have organic. So knowing that for me, I thought, how can I create a concept 
that is going to really resonate for people and actually speak to people of all ages so that kids want to come there instead of McDonald's and they want to go there after soccer practice or take it to school. And that was the birth of Beaming was this idea and this vision for a place that it would invite the whole family. I mean, it's, I was a huge fan of beaming and it's really incredible because like you were saying now, you know, talking about food as medicine is a little bit more, there's more awareness around it. There's still so much work we need to do there. Like your story of being 38 and you're, you feeling off. I get those emails all the time with my company be of like my, my doctor is just dismissing me. They're wanting me to put me on birth control. And I literally just say, try to cut out these foods. We sell this concept called seed cycling, which is essentially you're eating seeds at different parts of your cycle, aka just getting nutrients in your body. So whether it's our protocol or your protocol or eating whole foods, just it is game changing and there's so much potential there. But you were super, super early. So I want to go back to this time because I think, you know, you have this idea, you've seen yourself change through the process. You've seen your daughter have remarkable changes. And you really built this business from your home, you know, also while you were going through a divorce. So I want to talk more about this because I think sometimes people assume you have to raise a bunch of money to get an idea off the ground. If you could take us back to those early days of what did it look like with you kind of rebuilding your life and building this business, you know, as a new single mom of three pretty young kids at the time? It was nuts. And I think it almost goes back to the question that you first asked, right? Like, how do you fight through and have the grit to continue? And, you know, because I was going through divorce, I didn't have any money. I didn't know how I was going to pull this off. I just knew that I couldn't not do it. And my kids were young at the time, right? And so I remember, I mean, there's so many beautiful, crazy memories, but as the the vision for Beaming was coming together, and it started actually with a food-based cleanse. And back then we were doing this crazy juice cleansing, and Mm -hmm. somehow we thought that putting all this fruit juices and 222 grams of sugar a day was good for us and no protein, fat, and fiber. And I was watching my friends party from Thursday to Sunday and then juice fast Monday to Wednesday. And I thought, I'm not a doctor, but this cannot be good for you. And so what if I create a food cleanse that's like super culinary forward and it's got soup and juices and smoothies and salads and snacks and things that you would want all the time. And we literally created it in my home. And I went out and I found a cleansing expert, Adina Nimarau. She has a great book called Super Cleanse. And she's an incredible holistic chef and just so well-trained and had trained at the French Laundry. And then she did all these other things. So I brought her into it and she and I just got in the kitchen and just created and created the first superfood cleanse. And we started to offer this out of my home and thought, well, I wonder if people will want this. And the goal was could I help people feel so good that they would want this food all the time? Mm -hmm. And that it wasn't about short-term, yes, you got the weight loss. I understand that we all want that, but you would actually see and feel how good you could feel in your body. And you would visually see the, the reduction of inflammation and your mind would feel better and you would sleep better. And so the reasons weren't just about skinny jeans. It was really actually about wellness. And that if you could feel that good, could we change habits and behavior? So that was the premise. It worked. So it took off and became this whole following out of my home. So if you can imagine as a single mom, three little kids, 
my home became a factory and my kids were like labeling bottles and packing teas and my friends were coming over. And then we had to get a cupcake kitchen that we would work in the cupcake kitchen on off hours. And we would create these cleanses for people to pick up all over San Diego. And then it got to a point where I needed to hire like real employees, but I couldn't afford to. So that I moved two people from San Francisco into my home, into my children's room my kids moved into my bedroom. Like it was, it was nuts, but it was, it was also a magical time because one, I was doing what I loved. Yeah. I saw the impact that we were making and I saw the need, you know, people would freak out on day four or five and not want to stop. They wanted mm. it all the time. They had felt better than they had felt their, like maybe their entire life. And so I just, always said, I, there's a divine energy here that I have to go see this through and just figured it out. And the success of that cleanse led to me raising money for the first cafe. And that opened in December, 2012 in Del Mar, California, tucked behind McDonald's with no street signage. And, you know, every other juice bar in that location had failed. So everyone thought I was nuts and it worked. And it became the most successful concept in the country uh, almost overnight of that kind at that time. And so that really was, I think this is working. I think people really want it. And at the time, San Diego had only only had Jamba Juice. So there was no in-between. I come out with the Rolls Royce of yes. know, Superfood Cafe, you know, acai bowls that were as, you know, made with homemade sprouted almond milk and all sorts of superfoods people had never heard of. So it was definitely ahead of its time, but people people loved it. And that then allowed me to expand pretty quickly to LA and raise money and doing all that. But I think it's important to also just mention, I didn't have any experience. I didn't have a culinary background. I didn't have a business degree. I'd never worked in a restaurant before, let alone you know, ultimately end up owning 10 cafes. Yeah. I was not stacked. You know, I didn't know people that would write checks. I had no idea how to do a business plan or raise money or figure out even how you build a business model. So this was all like just figured out along the way. Find people smarter than I to, to help me figure it out. Yeah. And, you know, even going back to the early days, I appreciate your scrappiness. I mean, you were just saying how you needed to hire people because you guys were growing and you didn't have money. So you literally moved people from San Francisco in your home. Like that is incredible. It's like to push on this mission. And, you know, we're, I'm curious, like, were they also behind clearly the mission that they wanted to kind of make this move and take it to the next level? I mean, that's huge. That's huge. It's huge. And I think that, and you can so relate to this. I know it's like when your mission is so palatable, people feel it. And that energy feeds on itself. And so the more than, and you will attract people who are in alignment with that, who want to be on this movement with you. And so I think that was a big part is people saw what I was doing. They felt what I was doing. They clearly knew my passion and commitment to it. And they wanted to be part of that. And we can't do this alone. So it's getting people that are really in that like mindset that really want to change the world together. Yes. And it, like you were saying, it's really you exuding it and showing it and, and just being so passionate about what you're building. People want to be behind that as well. And, you know, there's so much that we can dig into on beaming. I was definitely a big fan. One thing that you did mention in another interview is despite all this success, well, actually, before I go into what you mentioned, you know, I just want to lay this out. 
you had so many incredible cafes in LA. You were doing incredibly well. You had like every single celebrity there. It was really such an amazing concept and really still is. And you mentioned in another interview that you losing beaming and your experience there was one of the hardest things in life and even harder than you going through a divorce. As a consumer of beaming, I had no idea behind the scenes that this was happening because you're like, oh, they're doing so well. They're opening up another location. I love this place. So can you expand more about really like what you were going through behind the scenes of you really separating yourself from beaming and kind of where it was going? Yeah, it was devastating. And it was one of the most traumatic experiences of my life because what we were doing was so incredible and people loved it. Just like you know, you described and people would stop me on the street. They actually still do and just be like, oh my God. Now it's I miss beaming because we sold it. But you know, at the time I was like, thank you so much. It's changed my life. Or you just hear these stories. It was my why. You know, we were successful and and I still I look back on on beaming with so much pride for what we created how amazing it was, how, I mean, I still, to this day, I think so many things that we did are still the best, you know, that anyone has ever done. What I didn't know in the naivety of starting a business, I didn't know how to raise money. And so I've made a lot of mistakes of how I raised money and not having proper legal representation. And I sort of took checks from anyone because you just, you just need money. I didn't understand the power of money and also the power of having a board. I had never had a board before. And so when people would come to me and say, I'll give you a million dollars, but I want a seat on the board, I thought, well, that feels like a very fair exchange because I had no concept of what having a board was. And those were mistakes that ultimately cost me the company because I did not surround myself with people who were in alignment. And I think the bigger part of that was, and they didn't bring a skill set that could really help us with the business. And so when things weren't going right, which 100% will happen with any business, no matter how good it's going, it will go south at times. And I think what's so critical, and this is where I've approached it now with Chroma, but it's like the partners that you bring together, they have to be with you through the good and the bad because the bad's inevitable. And so how do they come and support and help navigate through it? versus pointing fingers and blaming and all the stuff that happened that I was at Beaming. And I remember just so many times just like crying because I felt so misunderstood. And I know this is something you really relate to, but for me, I created Beaming out of this abundance. Think of the word. It's like the energy you give out is the energy you get back. It's this this powerful, powerful energy. The word Beaming is just an amazing word. That's how I live my life. And that was the essence of Beaming that people felt. Even if you didn't know how to put words on it, it's like, yes, the food was really good, but there was a different energy to it. The people that were ultimately ended up running Beaming did so out of scarcity and lack. You know, we have to be more profitable. We have to make more money. And yes, a business has to be profitable. And eventually I, I get that, but there's energy in that scarcity. And I felt so misunderstood because it wasn't like I could sit in the board meeting and saying, you know, abundance and scarcity. (laughs) But I knew intuitively, like, this is the problem. You guys are building a company to make a dollar. Let's step back and really understand the greater mission and vision of what we're doing. And then how do we build the business around that versus it being about that penny or dollar? And that's where the wheels started to come off. And I couldn't stop it. And it was a horrible, horrible time. It was the most devastating couple of years of my life because 
I watched this beautiful company implode. I didn't have I didn't have the confidence I think that I have now. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to turn to. I used to say this, and this is pretty dramatic, but this is how I felt. I felt like like my child had been kidnapped and I was muzzled in the closet. I'm like getting emotional just hearing this because I know what it takes to build something and just to go through something like that. I'd like feel it. That is really horrible. It was awful. And if you can imagine too, like I didn't have any money. I put like my little bit of money that I got from my divorce, you called a hundred thousand dollars, whatever it was like that went into beaming. And so when I walked out of that, I didn't have a dollar to my name and I had three little kids, no one to like help. So it was like, all of it was sort of hitting. And I had such a big, huge vision for beaming. It was a very, very intense time. And then of course you're like, okay, now how am I going to pay the bills? Because this isn't going to play out like I thought. I want to go into that, but before, just so any woman can learn and hopefully not be in the position. So you were raising money and they were taking board seats where the, and they eventually had more board seats than you, meaning they can direct where the company goes because you didn't have full voting rights. Is that what happened? Let me go even more specific yeah. to that. If you don't need a board, don't have one. <laughs> just start yeah. there because the board has massive influence on your business through Chroma and raising money through Chroma. I've raised a lot more money with Chroma than I did with, with Beaming, but I asserted myself from the beginning that if we're going to have a board, I'm going to choose who's on it. Yes. And we will maintain control. Yeah. And I don't know if I'll get to do that indefinitely, but for where we are today and what we need to do and the, the, the influence and control we need, that's just necessary. And I think so often when we're early entrepreneurs, we don't necessarily have the same confidence. Yeah. My not understanding or new, asserting myself for that, you know, I surrounded myself with people who took control of the board. And so I no longer had a voice. And that is a very dangerous position to be in. And I think entrepreneurs, and especially women, I think the more you can maintain control for as long as possible, I think that's just an important piece. It also allows you to express yourself fully without having the influence of other people who may or may not be aligned. And I just think there's so much juiciness that has to happen in the beginning that you want other people's input and ultimately you still need to have the power to make those decisions and trust your instinct. Yeah. No, I'm so glad you talked about that because I do feel like any one of us can easily be in that situation if we're not educated or aware. And that's why I want to do this podcast is like, let's talk about things that didn't work so we can all kind of learn along the way. So, you know, you're in this position, you lost all your money. It's not like you had a lot of things to kind of just get up and take care of your kids and start a new business or whatnot. So what were you really doing in those few years where it was like one of the most traumatic times in your life? I did some consulting, I don't honestly know how I made ends meet. (laughs) Yeah. It was, it took me a long time to create again. Yeah. And that was during that time where I thought, okay, how did I get here? And how do I never end up here again? Because if I'm going to create again, I have to make sure I never make those mistakes again. And you know, what's interesting. I think one of the things that I took away from that whole experience is I realized that and this is the more very personal side of it. I realized that I had, that I always had felt like I, we always struggle with like, I wasn't enough. Right. And I always felt like I, I couldn't perform enough for my parents. And I realized my board was very much my parents. I had recreated my, you know, and I don't know that that was true with my parents, but at the time as a child, that's what I thought, right. That I wasn't 
good enough and I couldn't perform enough. And I realized with the board, it was the same thing. It didn't matter how successful we were. It didn't matter how much people loved us. It didn't matter all the incredible press and everything we were getting. It was never enough. And so when I kind of put two and two together and realized there's some deeper emotional stuff here that is impacting my ability to be successful. So that's when I was doing all that work with Hoffman and all the other different programs and things that I did. It's a bit of a blur, if I'm totally honest, in that time, because some of the other stuff that came up for me was after building a company that people love so much, that was such a beautiful expression of just me and my soul, I started to have a lot of self-doubt because I wasn't able just to like create again. And I didn't have the confidence because I had been really beaten down. And I started to question, am I a one hit wonder? Yeah. <laughs> like, is that it? Maybe that's all I can do. Like, what am I going to do? And I remember just the anxiety and mm. sadness. And I just wanted to wake up and it to be all over. And that it would just, that I could be like, okay, because I'd always been a creator. Like there was nothing I could not do. And all of a sudden now I, I couldn't do. And I think that goes back to sort of the bigger beginning of this conversation, which was I couldn't force the, the healing. The healing was going to happen the way it needed to happen to prepare me for what was next. And it wasn't until I got through that, that I could actually create again from a place of authenticity as opposed to desperation from a place of like pure creativity and get back into my flow. And it took probably two years mm -hmm. before I was really able to create again. And then the momentum of kind of getting back in the kitchen and starting to have this vision and not necessarily having the answer. Like I didn't have exactly what the product was or exactly what it was going to be, but just creating momentum kept building on itself. And I think that's such an important part as an entrepreneur is that sometimes we think we have to have that, like, this is what I'm creating exactly. Yeah. And I think you have to the mission and you have to your why, but it may not take form exactly the way that you think or that you think you have to wait until you know exactly what it mm. is to do anything. And I think sometimes then we really stop the creative process because so much of the creative process is about momentum. Yes. Oh, that was so good, Lisa. I can't tell you how many people reach out to me saying kind of like how you felt earlier in this conversation where you're talking about you always knew you were meant for something bigger. And they're like, I don't know what the idea is. I don't know what to do. And I think what you mentioned about you getting back in the kitchen and playing around with things without the intention of knowing exactly what you wanted to do. Like I was there too. I mean, we started social media and content around women's health before we even had a product, right? Like you don't know where things go, but what you mentioned is really important. And I think it's also important, even as you scale a business is like, how do you build momentum in your life, right? You're back into the kitchen. You're excited. The creativity is coming. You're not putting pressure on yourself to like create something, but you're just kind of testing different things. I'd love to know. So I know for a few years, you were kind of working on different iterations of what ended up being your, your now business Chroma. When were you ready? Like, okay, I have now found something that really resonates and I'm now ready to take it to the next step and create a business around it. So after testing and playing with a lot of different ideas, I actually, what started Chroma, obviously I'd worked with superfoods for very, very long. So it was going to be superfood something, yeah. right? But I fell in love with matcha and as a coffee drinker, I started to feel the effects of having coffee in the morning and the irritability and that sort of anxiousness that coffee was. Plus I was having gut issues. So it was very acidic. And so when I, 
I decided I was going to switch over to matcha because of all the benefits of matcha, but really struggled to like want to leave my coffee for the matcha. So then I started to obsess on matcha and I thought, okay, what if I go find really good matcha? And then I learned how to make a latte that tastes really good that I'd be willing to give up that coffee. And then as I transitioned to matcha, I became obsessed because I felt so much better and like I looked better. I felt better. I didn't have the anxiousness and irritability. Like my mind was clear. I actually noticed it was like improving mood. I'm like, this yeah. is like a miracle. <laughs> and then I would like, oh, well, what if I add some other superfoods to it? And so I'll add some collagen and I'll add ginger and turmeric and mushrooms and all my things, all my little concoctions. And then I would drive back and forth from LA to San Diego and I'd carry like 10 superfoods with me and mix it in the hotel room or at my friend's house. And the light bulb went off and I was like, what if I turn this into a product? Because my friends were like loving this concoction I was making. And so it was like all of those little things along the way that are like, oh, wait, maybe I'm onto something. So then I realized, okay, well, what if I create this matcha product and people seem to really be liking it, my friends. And I'll create a couple other versions. I'll do a turmeric golden milk and I'll do a hot chocolate with mushrooms and I'll just get creative and, and create these great products. So the part that was important in this was when I started this and I launched with four adaptogen super lattes, I think it was three or four years ago. But when I started it, I knew that wasn't the full mission. I was just like, but I have to start somewhere. Yes. So I did raise up some money and we brought those products to life. And I also knew I needed to learn because coming from the cafe experience where it was bricks and mortar, people come in, I could interface with you. I could talk to you. Now I was going online deep in, in a direct to consumer model and I had to understand manufacturing. I had to understand how to even do marketing on the web. Like it just, it was a whole new world for me. And so going back to what I said before, I just had to start somewhere. And what ended up happening is we put these four great products out in the market and I realized, ooh, this is hard. <laughs> like, yeah. What worked before with Beaming is not translating here because I also thought, oh, well, it's the founder of Beaming. Like, of course, everyone will want this. And the, the reality was, no, actually nobody even knew you know, that we existed. And I thought, oh gosh, what this is going to take. And my daughter and I would do samplings at Erewhon and we would, you know, all the things to bring this brand to life. But I thought, okay, now I now know what I needed to know that there's a bigger problem I'm trying to solve and there's a bigger mission I'm, I'm here to do. And so I actually pulled the products. We were mm. probably two months in the market and I thought, this is going to be too hard. And there was a lot of other thoughts that went into that decision. But I had to go back to the investors and say, I know this is scary, but we're going to go a different direction. Wow. Because, but because the vision came to me, the clarity came to me after I launched the products. Mm. I was like, this is part of the, the story, but this isn't the full story. And so I had to convince the investors that I need you to trust me, but we're going to go away for a couple of years. <laughs> And we're going to come back with a much bigger offering. And of course, they, you know, thank God I had the lead investor was like, okay. And it really allowed me the time and space to do that. But it was that moment of truth where I knew in my soul and in my heart and in every cell of my body, this is what I'm supposed to go do. And, it, and once you have that feeling, nothing stops you. That's, I think, I know what that feeling is. We all know what that feeling is where it's just like, I can't not do this. 
And that's when, like, I think, call it magic, but like, that's when things really start to show up for you is when it's so, it's just, you just know this is, this is what you're supposed to do. Yeah. You know, I actually remember those few superfoods. I think we were at a CPG dinner in a summit series dinner years ago. I think this was when Drew and I, my husband were first dating. And he told me like, Hey, I'm going to bring you to this dinner with other CPG founders. I was not a CPG founder at the time. It's funny that now I am in this world, but I remember you were sharing some of those lattes. So that's why, yeah, when you launched, I was like, Oh wow, she went a completely different direction. And what I appreciate about you is that you wanted to test out these products, put it out there, because like you said, there's so much learning that needs to be involved with launching any product. The world we're in now is so different than when you launched Beaming. And if it wasn't for your journey, putting it out there, you would not have created this new idea. So just going back to like, not sitting there on your ideas, like putting it out there, creating that momentum for yourself, because that's when the next idea might even come about or, you know, pivoting and whatnot. So I love that you had the guts to kind of say, let's hold and go a completely different direction. That's pretty that was amazing. A massive pivot. Yeah. And oh, that was a very huge. risky pivot, but I knew there was something much bigger that we could do, that it was a problem we could solve and bring a solution forward that it just hadn't been done well which is really what beaming did. But I think the other side of this and is that like there is, it's test marketing. I mean, momentum yes. is also just you know, making that product in the kitchen and giving it to friends and have people try it and get the feedback because that, that feedback is also going to create that momentum of like, okay, I know I'm onto something. People really want that. And that dinner that you referred to, I remember you the founder of Gem was there and she had just started, right? And she's built this amazing business. And we were sort of a lot of us newbies kind of just playing with this idea and just getting it out there and having places where we could have people try it and give us that feedback that was, okay, like I can keep going. I can keep doing this. I think that's just such a big part of, again, not having all the answers. You know, when we did, when I was raising money for Chroma, I think my business partner and I, we finished our business plan the day before the world shut down for COVID. And so it was a complete screeching halt. And it was like, okay, now what? And what we ended up doing was creating, I was like, okay, I got to use this, this time somehow. And it was a complete like unraveling, but in like in the best of ways. And we ended up creating the first beta cleanse or beta reset for Chroma. And so it sort of forced us to really, really hone in on all the products and the program itself. And that then I offered it to five friends got the feedback. They had incredible results. They loved the product so much. I thought, okay, let me give it to a few more friends. And over the course of that next year and a half, 130 people went through that beta. Wow. And the beta is really what their mon- what happened with momentum because I couldn't go ask people for money when we were trying to figure out how to like get toilet paper and groceries. So all I could do was put this really cool program out there and get the feedback to then keep going And then that beta ended up being what allowed me to raise the money. And people started telling people, started telling people. And then one day I woke up to an email from Gwyneth Paltrow because she had heard about it. And so I didn't know Gwyneth Paltrow, right? And so that's the kind of momentum of really just continuing to stay on path, even when things are went sideways. You know, I couldn't go raise the money the way I had planned at the time I had planned. I had to empty my 401k 
back where I was at like starting at zero again, but just kept going. And because we were able to create that product in our home, my daughter was the one actually making it with me. She and I created all the products together. That's what allowed me to ultimately raise the money and create the momentum that we launched with. You know, it is pretty crazy because I do know before COVID hit, you know, you just alluded to you and your partner, Alex, created this business plan, had these goals for Chroma, COVID hit. And I think before that, you had an investor, right, that was willing to put up all the money as well and completely backed out or ghosted you, right? Like you forgot that big part of the story because a lot of people do go through that as well. Yeah, that's a good one. (laughs) So yeah, that was horrifying. So we go through and I meet this investor along the way. And he just professes that this program has changed his life. He lost 20 pounds. His wife falls in love with it. He's this big billionaire. We're going to change the world together. And a couple other people had 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 shown interest, a significant celebrity actually has shown interest in investing. He's like, we don't need him. We're going to do this without him. He called me crying. He's just like, he would text me all the time, just telling me how this was going to be like the biggest thing ever. And so we build this trust, but I will tell you, I would wake up in the middle of the night going, something's wrong. I don't trust him. Something's wrong. And I would say to Alex, I don't know, but something's wrong. And I would get online, I'd Google him and I couldn't find any information. I'm like, I don't think we're supposed to do a deal with this guy. And Alex, of course, was like, no, 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 we have to do the deal. We need the money. Like we have to do the deal. He's going to fund the whole thing. We got to go. And I was like, yeah, but no, I don't think we're supposed to. Like something's bad. And Thank God things, the universe listened. And as a, as we got through this negotiation with this guy, the day he was supposed to fund, he ghosted us and he disappeared, which ended up being the best thing ever. And I think that's the important message here was it's always this or something better and to trust your instinct because mm-hmm. I knew had he invested, I don't even think Chroma would exist today. Wow. I don't even think, I think it's that significant. Or if it did, he would have stolen it. A 1000%, I would have ended up in the same situation I did with Beaming. Thank God he didn't fund. And I allowed me to go attract an incredible group of investors who are so supportive. We're 90% funded by women, which was always this vision and like had. And, and, it, it forced me to look at fundraising differently and to do it in a way that what if I could go raise money from people who, whether they're big celebrities or they were the mom in the community or everyone in between, they would help us. They'd love this so much. They would help us mm-hmm. tell the world. Mm-hmm. And thank God that guy did not fund and that it forced me to go to plans B and C. And as a result, I think it's been such a huge part of our, well, I know, I don't think, I know it's been a huge part of our success is because I have the most amazing investors who really showed up for us and continue to show up for us and have really helped us tell the world. I will tell you when the, on the day that Chroma launched last July, end of July, I woke up to an article in Forbes and it was a picture of me Jessica Seinfeld, Amy Schumer, and Gwyneth Paltrow, all of which had invested. And I have to say again, I did not know any of these women before. This, this They got introduced to Chroma through friends of friends of friends of friends. And so that's how that all happened. But this article came out in Forbes and it was very, it was like kind of those moments you scream. Yeah, and I, I took the article and I sent it to the guy and I said, thank you. <gasps> I love that. So did he respond? He did. And I said, thank you for not showing up. 
Wow. And then I was an asshole. But, and then I was just like, (laughs) it was such a moment of like, yes, like when things don't go as planned, there's always a reason. And it was such a beautiful reminder on so many levels. And thank God he didn't show up. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I remember that article when it came out. And I think the bigger story is like you mentioned, you did not know these people. People might think, oh, you know, she's friends with Gwyneth Paltrow. That's how she got everybody. But it just shows like, A, your reputation from beaming over the years, right? You have been putting in hard work in this space for decades. Like your success, quote unquote, did not happen overnight, clearly at all. So they knew your reputation from that. And also like you did not give up through the process. COVID hits, you're continuing to still build the momentum for yourself of having people trying it and continuing on when maybe a lot of entrepreneurs would have just given up. But it just shows like the power of your mission and why behind this entire like movement of food is medicine and helping people feel better is like core to who you are and so much of your success too and why you're so tenacious. So that story is incredible. And the fact that 90% are women, amazing, Lisa, you are such an inspiration, major goals. Like I really love to hear that, that it all ultimately ended up working out. And you know, one question you guys launched last year, a little bit over a year now, you have seen just so much success in this past year of creating awareness. And I know with cleanse and superfoods, it's not always straightforward. It's not like you're selling water where people know, oh, I just have to drink this water. It's it's a little bit more complicated. So looking back at this past year, what do you think were some of the pillars that help you kind of gain that community and awareness that you guys have done? So first I want to acknowledge what you just said. So thank you. Received. That was very, very kind. So thank you for that. I think the the things that really have allowed us to have the success, one is our product is amazing. And so yeah. You know, I think I'm very proud of the product that my the products that my daughter and I created. We launched with 14 products and the five day reset. Not easy to do. I, yeah. I actually don't recommend it. The only reason I was able to do it is because my business partner Alex is so phenomenal at operations, and so because of that and the complexity of having 200 ingredients and five Coke packers and stuff is not something yeah. that I would ever recommend to anyone. It was necessary for our business model, but the products you know, are phenomenal, that investor community. And I think the thing that I touched on a little bit before was there's no one way to raise money, right? And the venture, the any of the VCs that I had talked to were intrigued with the idea, but they wanted to see proof of concept. I mean, raising money is not fun. Like, I, I don't, I mean, yes, I've raised a lot of money at this point, but it's never fun and I'll have to do it again. But it is finding the people that really believe in you and the mission and making sure you obviously have great product to back it and that you've got the right team to support that, that they believe can carry that to really turn it into a, a real business. And so having all of those early investors that became that go-to-market, they were our marketing. We had obviously great press and it's not just the celebrities. I mean, it's the moms in the community who tell all their friends And so, so much of that was through all of those relationships. And I, I love relationships. And so for me, it's leaning on people and getting them excited to help you tell. And I never wanted to build a business that was dependent on paid media. Yeah. That's a dangerous business. I think ultimately the best type of marketing is word of mouth and just people telling people. And I think when you have a great product and the integrity and you know all the other components of building a business, I think that that will then continue to feed on itself. And, mm-hmm. and that's been so much of our success to date. 
Yeah, no, it's huge. And I think, you know, people always say word of mouth, but it's like if you create this incredible product, the power of word of mouth is huge. And I've seen that in our business. We've done, we've paid nothing for ads, like nothing. We've never even spent a dollar. It's all through just like influencers talking about us, our amazing community of people. So I just want to reiterate that because I think you don't need, again, that much money to get a concept off the ground. Like you can start small and then you just see incremental growth month over month of your product if it is good and if it's making an impact. So, and one thing I also want to add to that too, sorry, is like, I also, I'm at events all the time. I'm behind the, the booth making a latte or a bone broth, right? And my daughter's always there too and and the rest of the team. But like, that's such a magical part of the whole experience is like getting to interact with people. And then they really love that and they appreciate that. And that feeds on itself. So making sure that you're in all of those moments and opportunities. I was doing sampling in Erewhon early on. I think that that's something that never underestimate the power of, of you yeah. to really be on that front end. It's true. And like you were saying, you know, relationship building is so key. And I think similar to you, I love that. I love meeting people. That's why I do this podcast. Like the connection that you build with people and also our customers just makes it fun. Anytime I'm having a bad day, I go to, I still do customer service emails like all the time. Like I love connecting with our community. It's really such a fun part of building any business, you know? So it's just, it's cool to see. Just And I like, I'll jump into our Instagram often. And because I always want to say thank you to people when they're, sharing something and I always jump in and and they love that I jump in to like acknowledge and I'm so 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 focused on customer experience yes and I want to not only deliver amazing product but I want you to feel really supported and so we're constantly evolving what does that Mm -hmm. look like how can we really take care of people and and continue to inspire them and support them in their journey yeah which is a huge part of just like wellness and and maintaining that routine in your life. Cause that's when you really, when you're consistent, that's when you really feel all the results and amazing and whatnot. So I love that. And you know, Lisa, I probably could talk to you for so many more hours, but I'd love to close on one last question. What are you most proud of that a lot of people may not know about you? I'm really proud of just sort of my humility in going through what I went through and being so committed to sort of my own introspection and growth. I couldn't be the leader that I am today if I hadn't gone through what I went through and sort of got broken down Mm -hmm. as I did. And then really, instead of being a victim, there was moments where I was, but then also understanding how, how could I use those experiences to just really evolve who I am in the world and how I can best contribute. And so I'd say that is definitely what I'm probably most proud of. Amazing. Well, Lisa, this was so much fun having you on. I mean, thank you for walking us through your our journey. You are such an inspiration and I'm just cheering you on with Chroma and can't wait to continue to see what you're building and bring into this world. So thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. I will tell you, this is probably my most favorite conversation ever. Oh, I absolutely have loved our conversation. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. 
I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire. 